Matthew chapter 3. I'd like to read the, the first 12 verses of this chapter. <clears throat> in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every, good, therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. And gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. <clears throat> John the Baptist was a, a transition uh, a character in the, uh, in the story of the gospel <clears throat> from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the sacrifices that could not remove guilt to a Messiah who could... Uh, who could completely uh, f- cleanse us from guilt, plus baptize uh, his followers, his disciples with the Holy Ghost. And from an Old Test- Testament commitment and effort uh, kind of holiness to a conversion, to a changed life and entrance to the kingdom of heaven, and we read often in these messages of John and the messages of Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. And um, part of the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is another, is another thing that we read, see a lot in their messages, and that is repentance. Repent ye. And uh, fruits meet for repentance. Confessing their sins. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. And there were a lot of people attracted to, uh, to John's ministry, came out into the wilderness to see what this man was talking about. And some of them, um, some of them ached with something within them, that they, they wanted what John was talking about and what he was pointing to. And the same with Jesus. There were many people that gathered 
and listened, and their hearts yearned for what he was speaking of and promising. And there were others that listened and thought and didn't respond and didn't enter the kingdom. <coughs> but repentance is, is a part of the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. And it is part of uh, the, it is part of the, um, the way that we stay and find this and live in this life, this relationship that we were studying about in our Sunday school lesson this morning. We have been called to repentance. Anybody who comes, becomes a Christian will have to have heard the call to repentance. And God wants everyone to repent. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I would like to review this morning some of the pieces, some of the parts of repentance and uh, the first, the first uh, area that I'd like to think about is conviction. And, and I have uh, several of, the, of these pieces that we want to look at. And we could, they could be put in different, in different order than what I have them. Uh, and, and some of these things certainly overlap, and some of them uh, happen at the same time. But they, I think we can look at them each and, uh, and see what, what that part contributes and how that's part of repentance. Repentance is a bigger, a bigger term that includes other pieces beneath it. And the first one is conviction. There has to be conviction before there is repentance. And conviction is a realization that, that something is wrong. By exposure to the Bible, God's truth, by a message that someone has preached, or even from somebody's own conscience, from some source, the truth is made known. And I see that there's something in my life, something I've thought, an attitude I have, uh, or an action that does not line up with the holy, the holiness of God. Now, if the truth is not accepted, there is no real conviction. There is certainly no repentance. <clears throat> we, we know that story about the rich man and Lazarus. <clears throat> and remember how he was in torment, the rich man... <clears throat> And how he had a burden for lost souls. Suddenly, he was burdened about his brothers. And he begged Father Abraham to, uh, to send somebody to, uh, to speak to them. And he said, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. 
You know, a person can have, uh, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, someone made the point that, you know, Jesus is the only way. Some people, many people, don't believe that. They think there are other ways, or they just don't accept the truth of, of who Jesus is and what he offers. And, and folks that are determined, that already have their minds made up, that how they're doing is fine, and they're not open to anything else, they deny it, uh, they excuse it, they explain it away, that's a, that's a spiritually dangerous spot, but they will not be persuaded. The scribes and the Pharisees, you remember, were very critical of Jesus for eating with the publicans and sinners. And remember when uh, Jesus heard or Jesus knew what they were thinking and saying, he said to them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it seems to me that the whole ones here were not uh, whole. They thought they were whole. They were in denial. And, and they didn't realize how, like the Laodiceans in, in Revelation, they didn't realize how sick and needy they, they were. <clears throat> uh, another situation that was a little different, uh, when Jesus was confronted by men accusing a woman caught in the deed of adultery. <clears throat> and remember how Jesus stooped and wrote on the ground. <clears throat> and they, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, we don't know what they did with it, but they were bothered. They knew that there was something, that there was something wrong within them, that they were sinners too. At, uh, at Pentecost, in the second chapter of Acts, when all these people were gathered, thousands of people gathered, and they listened to Peter talk. They didn't come to hear a preacher, but they, they, they heard a message. And when they heard what, Je what Peter had said about Jesus, and that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. They were convicted. Now, Paul was another, another case. He was fiercely loyal to Judaism and to God's law and to God's cause as he, as he understood it. And to the followers of Jesus, he was, a, he was a threat, and he was a man of action. And he aggressively went after those who were undermining God's ways. And when the light dawned on him on the road to Damascus, what a, what a shock. We don't have details of all his thoughts, but he, he came to the realization that he was wrong. So conviction is when 
A sinner sees, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Or a disciple of Jesus, living the Christian life, realizes, I sinned. I'm wrong here. My attitude is not right. I got upset. I said things I should not have said. That was wrong. That was sinful. So conviction is one part of repentance. A second part is uh, contrition or sorrow. A sorrow for sin. We, we um, are sorry. There's grief. There's regret. There's disappointment. I wish I hadn't done that. There can be discouragement. What a mess I've made. What a mess I am. There can be fear. If, if I don't change my ways, if I don't get out of this track, I am doomed. If it's not, uh, if, if uh, this conviction, if this sorrow this uh, grief isn't followed through on, it can, uh, the discouragement can become depression if it's uh, grievous enough. There are people, I understand, in mental institutions um, for that reason. They have not dealt with sin and guilt has... um, messed with their minds. There are two kinds of sorrow, the scripture tells us. Paul wrote about them in 2 Corinthians 7, in verses 9 and 10. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive uh, damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. There is a sorrow, a grief that the world has that doesn't bring one to repentance. You know, Judas would be an extreme example of that. Uh, He felt remorse. He deeply regretted betraying uh, Jesus, and he repented of himself. He, was, he changed his mind about what he had done, and he brought again the 30 pieces of silver and tried to explain that he had done something wrong and he wanted to make it, he wanted to make it right and he wanted to change this and give back, his, give back those 30 pieces of silver and they wouldn't take it and he threw it. Uh, down in the temple, and he left, and he hanged himself. He was, uh, he was very upset about what he had done. It seems like he tried to correct it on his own terms. We don't know what all his attitude was or thinking, but he didn't come to repentance. And certainly, uh, the devil doesn't mind so much that people are convicted if, uh, if he can sidetrack them and, and uh, 
steer them in another direction. The rich young ruler would be another example, somebody who, who, was, who heard the truth. And he went away very sorrowful, for he was very rich and uh, wasn't ready to follow Jesus' instructions. He did many good things. He was not a bad man in terms of his character, but he didn't repent of his, uh, of his sin. And, um, you know, a lot of people that have this kind of sorrow, they deal with it then after they decide, you know, I'm not going there. That, that's not where I want to go. And they deal with it by distracting themselves through all kinds of amusements, uh, through drugs and alcohol maybe, or rationalizing, or going to other teachers who say the things that they really want to hear, that, that say it's okay to do the way you want to do. That's uh, the result of a worldly sorrow, and it's a... It's a it's a grief, it's a, a sorrow or a, a disturbance that is still being ruled by the flesh and uh, hasn't been surrendered to God. Then there is a godly sorrow. <clears throat> Paul wrote about that. The uh, sorrow, he t- said about the Corinthian church, they sorrowed after a godly sort. And what carefulness it wrought in you. There was a sincere response and uh, an earnest follow-up. You know, one of the baptismal questions, you've heard them, some of you many times, are you truly sorry for your past sins? And that would be, is there a godly sorrow for your past sins? I wonder what emotions Paul felt, Saul felt, as he continued on his way to Damascus. I think he was a pretty intense person, and he had a misguided zeal for God. But uh, he was wrong. I'm sure it was a real anguish to him. He said once, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not suitable, I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I think that was a grief that he carried with him. A sinner grieves when he's convicted of his sinfulness. A disciple grieves, is remorseful. He's grieved the Holy Spirit. He's grieved his Lord. Maybe he's hurt someone else. Then there is confession, another part of repentance. I see I am wrong. I am thinking wrong. My attitude is wrong. My action is wrong. And I agree with God. That's what confession is. I agree, I surrender to your truth about sin and sinfulness. God, you are right. I am wrong. If we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The prodigal son confessed in that beautiful story. He came back to his father. And we can see how sorry he was as he, you know, came to the conviction of his need. And, and he went back to his father and confessed, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He agreed with God. I am a sinner. He sensed the emotion there too, the sorrow. Paul confessed, agreed that he was doing, had done wrong things. And he told people later, I was living in sin. I was doing wrong things. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, arrogant and violent. We agree with God. We confess, God, you are right. I am wrong. Then a fourth part is there is a change of heart and mind, a change of purpose. John the Baptist, uh, there in that chapter that we read from <clears throat> in his message, he said, Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And this is, repentance is part of that preparation. That's what John the Baptist's ministry was about, to prepare the way for the kingdom, to show people what they need to do to uh, be ready to receive the king. And he preached that that change was needed. Jesus said, this was after John the Baptist was in prison, He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel, believe the good news. There needed to be a change of belief. And Peter in the, in the message at Pentecost, when the people heard that message and they responded to it, they were pricked in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized the way they had been living and the way they had been thinking was wrong. And, and Peter uh, acknowledged there needs to be a change of thinking. There needs to be a change of life. A, a completely new direction. Surrendering that selfish and sinful life to God and to godliness.
Paul the same way. After he was helped on his feet, he continued in the same direction toward Damascus. But his heart had made a complete about turn. And so with the sinner that comes to repentance. And so with the disciple. When he realizes that he's done wrong, he turns away from it. There's two parts to that. <clears throat> One is forsaking the old, the sin and the carnality. In Ezekiel, in the prophet Ezekiel, he wrote, Repent and turn yourself, turn, re let me start again. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. And John the Baptist said, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Uh, live a life that is evidence of repentance. Don't just, you can't just, uh, you, you have no assurance because Abraham is in your ancestry. You need a change, a different life. There needs to be a uh, clear-cut, complete, and thorough uh, forsaking of the old. And so when we baptize someone, we ask, do you renounce Satan, the world, all evil works and your own carnal will and sinful desires. And the New Testament describes that in different ways. Uh, in Romans, Paul wrote, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And he talks about uh, they that are Christ's, this is in Galatians, have crucified the flesh. That would be putting it to death with the, with the affections and lusts. And in Ephesians, he talks about putting off the old man, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, the old life. And with that, <clears throat> to, to do that right, there, needs, uh, there, there should not be any wistful looking back. No wistful longings. Remember how Israel was. And they remembered Egypt. They remembered things they ate. They remembered sinful things they did. And uh, it seemed like they forgot about the taskmasters and the bondage and the cruelty. And they wanted to go back and they complained to Moses. And the Hebrew writer talks about people like that, or refers to them. Uh, he talks about people that were faithful, that saw a city, which is what Christians should be seeing. And the promises of God, even though they were far, far off, they were persuaded of them, they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were looking to something else, not to life here and things here and sin, sinful things. But they seek a country. And then in verse 15, he says this. This is from chap the faith chapter 11. 
And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came, from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. And what he's saying is that those people who look back, who look back wistfully, are more likely to return back to that life. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a good thing for us to think about. And along with that, there should be no boastfulness about, our, about a sinful past or shameful things or kind of glorying in the notoriety of bad things done. You've maybe been uh, around people like that. Paul said, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. It is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. So to, to brag about reckless living, about breaking laws. <clears throat> That's not a, not a good thing. Uh, another part of it is making no provision for the flesh, Romans thirteen fourteen. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So there is a place for uh, some radical steps. Jesus said, if the eye offends thee, pluck it out. If the hand offends thee, cut it off. He was saying basically that sometimes radical steps, maybe even sense, steps that don't make good sense to those around you are necessary to uh, make no provision for the flesh. Paul and true disciples certainly made a clear break with, with the past. I think when, uh, when people don't, when Christians don't, it's, it's like a, uh, our Dr. Dan could confirm this, but it may be similar to uh, an infection. And somebody starts on an antibiotic and he doesn't take the full course and he doesn't really lick it. And it's, it's still there weakening and lowering the immunity, immune system and still making problems for him. A clean break is needed. And then the second part of that changed heart is embracing the new, which is embracing God, which is embracing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. That's how sinners become Christians. And that's how Christians stay Christians and how they grow in their Christian life. So we ask in the baptismal service, do you promise by the grace of God? Certainly we can't live this life without the grace of God and the aid of his Holy Spirit to submit yourself to Christ, his word, his church, and to be faithful to him until death. And when we do, when a person does, God forgives 
And he blesses with the power of the Holy Spirit for life and for victory and for fruit. John the Baptist said about Jesus, this uh, great one coming, who is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And Peter, in his message, uh, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And put ye on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4, 24. And when we make those decisions, uh, it reinforces and, and make them often. Uh, it reinforces the decisions we have made in the past and commitments we've made. And we need to feed the spiritual man. And we need to practice walking in the new life. And when we do that, it weakens the old, it strengthens the new. And it frees God's spirit to work. But looking back with longing weakens resolve. It weakens conviction. And it grieves the spirit. And it hinders his work, and it limits God's power in a believer's life. There's another, another part to um, repentance. I'll just mention it here, and that is restitution. If um, there are offenses and wrongs against others, we want to make them right. Zacchaeus did that. He had wronged uh, many people, and he, he took a, a strong step in making that right. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. We say we're sorry. We try to make things right if there's something that can be made right. It, restitution is an evidence of a new life. And so if a disciple has gotten angry at someone and said harsh words, they won't just leave that. And uh, they, they become convicted about it. They're sorry about it. And they know it's wrong. They confess it to God. They don't just leave it there and try to be nice. From here on, they say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's something else that they need to do to, to make it right. Those are some of the things involved with repentance. And that's how a person becomes a Christian, how a sinner becomes a Christian. 
and it is a continued life of a disciple. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And you know, when we walk in the light, we come under conviction from time to time. And then we confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We repent. We walk with the light. We walk with Jesus in the light. Jesus is the light. Pablo is uh, writing a book uh, currently in And one of the characters in the book is Tomas. And Tomas has a big steel chainsaw. And he was the best chainsaw operator in Waslala if he was sober. And he was also a good uh, small engine mechanic. But he was one of the, and he had fought in the, uh, in the Civil War in, in Nicaragua. And he was one of those people that is easy to give up on. Just, you know, he, he is not somebody you would just think, okay, he's on the edge and ready to become a Christian. But during that civil war one time, he was in a pretty bad place, and he promised at one point that if he survived the war, he would become a Christian. He would change his life. He had been convicted different times of his sin and sinfulness, but he uh, just wasn't ready to do it. And after he got out, kind of got life kind of went to normal, how that happens, you know. And... He didn't get it done. One time, I don't remember just what, the, what, the, what had happened, but uh, something had happened in his life that uh, Jacinto, that's Pablo's son, went to see uh, T- Tomas and talked to him about the Lord and prayed for him. But then he, uh, that was, then time continued to go by. Tomas made no change, but Tomas was impressed with that. And uh, Pablo would see Tomas once in a while, and sometimes Tomas would come to see him. And one day, uh, Pablo saw Tomas coming into his driveway. I told this story one time before, some years ago, I think. Well, it hasn't been all that long since I knew this. But he came, uh, as he was walking in the driveway, Pablo was out on the porch or someplace where he could see the driveway, and, and he saw... Uh, Tomas, and he saw his stride. He had a characteristic little, little limp, like a little hitch, when he was drunk, and so he knew he had been drinking. And uh, Tomas came up to Pablo and he said, "I want to become a Christian. I'm ready to become a Christian." And Pablo said, "Look, Tom, Tomas, you've been drinking. Come back tomorrow." at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And if you're sober, I'll be glad to help you. But I want to now. I'm ready now. No, not, not now. 
said Pablo. You know why? Tomas said, yes, you're afraid. You're afraid that I'll not make a serious decision, that I that I'm, uh, won't know what I'm doing. So Pablo prayed with him and sent him home. And the next day, Pablo watched the driveway, and uh, here came Tomas. And Tomas had a little hitch in his walk. And Pablo said, Tomas, you've been drinking again. Well, I just, I was getting the shakes, and I just took a, a, little, a few little drinks to try to calm my nerves. Just took a few sips. I'm sorry, said Pablo. If you come tomorrow at 2 o'clock and you're sober, then I'll help you. And he prayed for him and sent him home. The next morning, about 5 o'clock, Pablo, Pablo went to Tomas' house and prayed with him and stayed with him for several hours. And then he went home. And then about two o'clock, here came Tomas. And he was uh, walking without a hitch. And he surrendered his life to the Lord and he was a, became a joyful, fervent Christian and is a member there at the uh, little congregation in Waslala uh, now. He repented. His life changed. I say unto you, said Jesus, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. That's true when sinners repent and come into the kingdom. And if, if, um, if Christians grieve the Lord when they sin, if disciples grieve the Lord when they sin, it brings joy to the Lord when they repent. Christians also need to repent. Repentance is the way to the kingdom. It is the way of the kingdom, part of the way of the kingdom. And that's the way we want to walk with the Lord. May the Lord bless us. Shall we have a song?